I was out of water. I had no food on me, and uh, I for sure did not have enough fuel to get to the 316 kilometer refueling point. This was around three o'clock in the afternoon. At that point, I didn't know that I would end up spending a night in the dunes all alone because it took me 31 hours actually to get back. Biker Radio Broadcast advises safety at all times. Discusses underage riding, but celebrates the spirit of motorcycling. And how? Fifth episode of the Bike Radio Broadcast, India's exclusive podcast on motorcycling, celebrating its heroic riders, legendary mechanics, and iconic builders through stories told by members of its community, one legend at a time. I'm Shandy, and I'm Sunny. Today we bring to you the story of an unassuming champion who almost stumbled on the sport of off-roading at the age of 34 and made it his own. Ever since this homegrown hero has gone from strength to strength, from race to race, rallying through the dirt and the grime, riding on the edge of traction in a test of endurance against the sands of time. A marine engineer by profession, the value of the time he spends on the high seas seldom equals what it takes to fuel this expensive cross-country motorsport. But then there are some for whom the challenge itself is the reward. This is the story of that victor that lies hidden in your soul. The man at the other end of the phone line is a national hero, one of us, ordinary people in everyday life. Not a man of many words, but the entertainment comes on just as the gasoline explodes. He's a son, a husband, a friend, a scholar, a state-level sportsman, a dog lover. A rally racer, the only Indian to finish the Africa Eco Race in 2020, and rookie challenger to Dakar 2021. Please welcome the new prince of India's rally racing ambitions from Pune in Maharashtra, Ashish Rao Rane. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, guys. Oh, oh, you're on video. <laughs> are yeah. we doing the video or audio? What are we doing? <laughs> यार वी शुड डू एन ऑडियो यार इस हालत में नहीं है कि हम शक्ल दिखाएं तुमको व्हाट यू लुकिंग ग्रेट यू यू डोंट नीड टू बी वेरिंग क्लोज दैट्स फाइन विद मी माय माय सीन इज दैट माय कैमरा हैज बीन टेकन अप बाय माय डॉटर हु हैज अ ऑनलाइन क्लास टुडे सो ओके ऑल राइट सो शांडी शांडी दिखाएगा शक्ल नहीं नहीं शांडी ने तो कल अपनी लाइट भी एडजस्ट करी है अपने ताकि उसकी फेस पे थोड़ी सी लाइटिंग ठीक सा है ये ले सी ये ले ओह देयर इज दिख रहा है या 
very 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 mood lighting that you have put on oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there Shandy, you know you you're looking like uh, black jack yeah <laughs> I, I, i suddenly realized yeah yeah, yeah fine let's go back to audio i think uh, <laughs> that's your area of expertise audio <laughs> yeah Oh man I mean wh- what how long has it been Yeah we met in December actually December yeah uh, first first or second week of December second week of December correct You know I think I got back home around the 10th or 11th hmm and then 13th I was in the hospital Yeah I got dengue my god and that was yeah that was a bummer just like 10 days before I had to I yeah, leave for the race Yeah but you still managed pretty well yeah i mean you know yeah it wasn't i mean it was a tough decision for me mm. especially considering that i came out of the hospital what 26 26th mm-hmm. of december and mm-hmm. 23rd was when i was actually supposed to to fly out uh oh so, so okay oh, yeah i was supposed to i was supposed to go to switzerland where the race team was you know mm. check the bike do all the pre race pre race stuff but uh, even with the dengue we were kind of ex- hoping that i'll be out mm. latest by you know 21st or 22nd and still make the flight mm. the the doctors were horrified mm. by the just the idea mm-hmm. that i would get out of the hospital and then hop on to a flight <laughs> and then go race but they, yeah eventually eventually it turned out that i had to stay a little longer there was some complications with my liver function okay oh, okay uh, so anyways eventually the decision had to be made you know but again me and my wife we kind of thought okay, everything's ready Mm. and there's no point sitting at home i'd be wondering how it would have turned out so even if it meant like you know getting to the start podium and then you know not not being able to carry on then so be it but might as well go and give it a shot so we we kind of altered some plans and i didn't hook up with the race team at all i decided to go straight to to menton where the start of the race was right uh um yeah and why of course my doctor was totally horrified by the prospect she also like wrote on the on the discharge papers that i should not travel for 2 weeks <laughs> <laughs> because she she tried talking sense into me and she was getting nowhere and uh, she turned around to tanya and she kind of lost her cool she is like you know uh, you know at least you should try explaining to him And, you know this is you guys acting like kids ah acha he said that and, in the plural is it yeah i mean she kind of regretted it later because <laughs> tanya's mom she is the deputy director of nursing in that hospital oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah but it was it was kind of a fun conversation with the doctor because Thank she you. just couldn't couldn't relate to the the thought process right Mm. that why why would you do this she wouldn't do it yeah and she's like you know what happens if you are in the middle of nowhere and you have you already have liver complications and she was like yeah but and actually my mother in law is is also kind of adventurous soul okay so <laughs> she was like you know don't let any doctor tell you what to do if you 
you know your body wow you are you are sane enough to understand when to stop so if after 2 3 days of racing you feel that you know you're yeah. not you're not up to it um, then just make the make the correct decision of you know stopping and not complicating things but that's uh, a nice mom in law to have oh i mean she's she's a she's a gem of a person very adventurous soul she went skydiving for her 60th birthday so love <laughs> wow <laughs> plus uh, does she believe in safety third too yeah absolutely You're listening to the Michael Radio Broadcast. Listen, connect, ride on. Hi, this is Ashish Rawrani and you're listening to the Biker Radio Broadcast. Welcome back to the long way home to the heart of our show, which is a story of just another rider that makes up this amazing tribe of people who are driven by their own north star, making their way through life and its challenges. I'm Sunny and I'm Shandy. Well, on the long way home today we have Ashish Rao Rane who's really a rally racing endurance machine who's in love with the edge of traction itself. Uh, we first met him in December 2019 at the India Bike Week where we were putting together a BBC audio documentary on why India is mad about motorbikes and the producers were very keen to hear his story among others. And why not? His story is unique. If you want you can listen to it on bikeradiopodcast.com. So when he says safety third, you must be wondering what comes second and what comes first. This is very interesting. Safety third is a school of thought that puts others interests before your own, truly reflecting their heightened sense of responsibility and purpose. So we looked it up and the urban dictionary puts this as the phrase safety third is to remind us that safety is ultimately our individual responsibility and is more complex than an absolute first priority. If you're listening to us on an app, check our website out at bikerradiopodcast.com. You can have a go at answering the question of the week, what comes first and what comes second. if it's safety third for ashish raurane while he's on land by the way we built the website on our own so please ignore the misplaced furniture yeah but if you register just trust us we'll spam you till you subscribe to us on instagram guys we really need to hit that magical 10000 number okay so go answer the question and subscribe to us on instagram our handle is biker radio broadcast Now, earlier this year Ashish became the first Indian to finish the Africa Eco Race, which is essentially the almost same route as the Paris Dakar Rally out in the deserts of Africa. Nope, this is not gaming. It's real blood, sweat and grime. Sharad Chanoy of Broke Traveler Escapades called around dinner time in mid-January, and you could hear the whoops and the celebrations. Ashish had successfully crossed the finish line after a grueling two weeks in the African desert, and sent us a short audio bite from his hotel room. You could almost hear the fatigue in his voice, but we feel so privileged to have received it at all. This is Ashish Rao Rane. You're listening to Biker Radio Broadcast, and this is the long way home. Firstly, I would like to thank everyone who's been following and supporting me through these past few weeks. To say that the past weeks have been a roller coaster, yeah, both physically and emotionally, would be an understatement. I was in the hospital four days before the race, wondering if I could make it to the start line, 
and i think against all medical advice we made a decision to give it a shot anyways safety third right the race actually started out pretty well for me uh, against expectations i was struggling physically a bit it was very cold and having spent 10 days in the hospital drugged up uh, you know battling dengue that really taken a toll on my body uh but even then uh, the first half of the race going into rest day i was pretty happy to be in 17th overall uh i i wouldn't have imagined at the start of the race that i would i would be anywhere close to that number uh after the rest day the race moved into mauritania and uh, that's where it kind of began to unravel for me uh we kind of realized that the fuel consumption on the on the bike in the soft mauritanian sand uh, was was pretty high and i was riding a modified enduro bike uh where you you know put big tanks and slap on a rear tank and try to make the fuel uh, fuel autonomy in morocco it wasn't a problem packed sand and mostly rocky stages the first stage in uh, mauritania it wasn't that long but i ended up using a lot of fuel it was pretty flat out stages and it kind of confirmed that we didn't have the required autonomy and something had to be done about it uh next stage stage 8 uh the idea was to basically manage the fuel by riding the bike a little less aggressively uh but then around kilometer 30 at the beginning of the stage i made a made a navigation error which sent me almost close to 30 or 40 kilometers in the wrong direction which made things worse on the on the fuel side obviously but anyways i decided to continue by this time uh by the time i came back on the correct track a lot of cars and trucks had passed and they had rotted out the sand pretty pretty bad which meant again making things worse on the on the motorcycle at around 170 and i yeah i struggled through these sections because the ruts were so deep and the sand was so soft i i can't even remember how many times i crashed at around 175 the bike got stuck in a very soft dune and i just stopped to take stock of the situation because i was out of water i had no food on me and uh, i for sure did not have enough fuel to get to the 316 km refueling point and after a long hard thought and one of the most difficult decisions i had to make to call the the pc course and say that i had to get on the sweep truck this was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon at that point i didn't know that i would end up spending a night in the dunes all alone because it took me 31 hours actually to get back to the next bivouac but yeah that's another long story another adventure um, i'll share that at at some point of time so eventually it took me 31 hours which was the next night that i reached the bivouac late i had missed stage 9 already and i couldn't take take the start for stage 10 but anyways the africa eco race allows restarts and that's a great thing for privateers because you know you have come down to to make your way down to dakar and it doesn't waste all all that money that you have paid to to race here so i did take the restart eventually i got to race on uh, the famous lakros beach on dakar and uh, eventually crossed the finish line of the of the africa eco race i think this has been one of the wildest experiences of my life
and yeah uh, i'll definitely love to talk more about it uh, with biker radio podcast hope you can catch up soon hi this is ashish rawani and you're listening to the biker radio podcast nothing is just pitch pitch dark after a few hours i started hearing things because i always thought that i could hear a truck in the distance actually at one point of time i heard something that spooked me and then eventually i was so tired that i think by midnight i just fell asleep just to be woken up by the actual sound of a, of a big 6/6 and blinding lights are you okay This is Ashish Rawrani. You're listening to Biker Radio broadcast and this is a long way home. You're the first Indian to finish the Africa Eco Race. So congratulations for that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. You see the Africa Eco Race kind of filled that that void that the Dakar left when it left Africa. Mm. Uh when Dakar moved to South America, mm. Africa Eco Race I think after a couple of years kind of took over the same route mm. because they still wanted to construct a race that that went down to Dakar Senegal. Mm. Mm-hmm. They kind of made that happen starting the race in 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 France. Right. And mm-hmm. then the exact same way like the old Dakar was done you know you you start flag off the race all the bikes they go bikes cars trucks they all loaded onto a, a roro ship and the ship mm-hmm. takes you across to the African continent and then you mm-hmm. begin your race. Mm-hmm. So you cross Morocco, Mauritania, and Senegal, mm. and it's a 14-day marathon race, same as the same as the Dakar. Mm-hmm. And I think they they try to stay very true to the to the original ethos of the Dakar Rally. Uh-huh, okay. So the reason why the Dakar was shifted, uh, the rally was shifted from Africa to eventually South America was. possibly was it political instability violence i mean that's the reason yes. that we thought yeah, that, the, that was yeah that was the reason uh, they they moved out and once they moved okay. out they they never kind of went back so i think there was a void of like a few years before before africa eco kind of stepped in again and said okay now it looks safe to do this again oh, okay but because okay. and i think dakar had by then already you know moved it's to south america and they had a well established base in those years and and i think it was also uh, a bit more varied when when dakar was in south america because you had the desert you also had very wrc like stages you know just a lot of lot of gravel and and mud and and those kind of stages because in right. like at the africa eco morocco mauritania senegal there's a change of scenery especially between morocco and mauritania Mm. Okay. But again, you're still racing all the time in the desert. You don't get any kind of like you know mud racing or you know WRC style fast stages. Mm. Uh-huh. So yeah, they're they're very different races. And I think now with the Dakar in Saudi Arabia, the the races now have again become very close to each other in 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 terms of terrain. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it was it was a pretty pretty good. Uh, I think it was a pretty good race, even though there were some. some issues you know eventually on stage 8 mm-hmm. even before stage 8 for you to get on to that race not having the bike or not having this or not having that you said something about it just just take us quickly through that yeah what happened yeah so 
generally i would have liked to like test the bike and you know figure out the small things that you adjust to to make the bike bike your own right because these are rental rental bikes okay mm-hmm. um, but that that we didn't have that luxury so we kind of landed in in france what on the 2nd of january mm-hmm. and then the start of the race the ceremonial start was on the 3rd uh-huh. so we kind of did what we could and eventually the plan was to figure it out on the first few stages and yeah the first first stage was very short it was like 35 or 36 kilometers if i remember correctly and lo- long transport so we kind of got a little bit of sense of what we needed to do made those adjustments i think i finished in the 30s for the stage but from stage 2 to stage 5 or you up to even up to stage the first stage 6 which was in mauritania mm-hmm. the race was going pretty well for me mm-hmm. i mean every day there was some progression I, i came down in into you know 27th stage 2 oh. i think stage 3 then i was up to 23 there was one stage where i finished 17 oh. so there was uh, there was good progression and there was you know it kind of builds confidence every day if you're if you're doing better and better mentally mm. you get into a good space right there was some some after effects of the of the dengue that started showing up i had kind of a weird uh, skin rash mm. but then oh. the doctor said that it it sometimes happens like posting posting you mm-hmm. but apart from that there was not like i physically i wasn't wasn't feeling like overly tired or what the doctors were expecting right because especially because of the liver function problem mm. mm-hmm. and that fortunately wasn't there oh. so i think yeah that that was going pretty well leaving morocco i think i was doing like overall 18th or something uh-huh. and mauritania the first stage uh, we kind of realized there was some miscalculations with with how much fuel you were carrying and what it was this was a enduro bike okay mm. which was kitted out it was a brand new 2020 model it didn't have a long range rear fuel tank that would have gone on a maybe a 2019 because the bike was so new that aftermarket parts won't won't out in out in the market yet so oh. so that was kind of a letdown mm. because then the the whole point the whole race strategy went to went to fuel conservation okay so as soon as we went into mauritania it was just sand sand you know every day just 400 500 kilometers of soft sand and it was just eating into the into the fuel consumption mm-hmm. so the first two days i still managed it somehow stage 8 you know the, the sand was just so soft and it was all very technical slow stages at this kind of running out of fuel it was draining me the stage was tough and eventually i got to a point where there wasn't just enough fuel to make it to the next next fuel stop right and then i had some small bit of complications on the bike as well hmm Yeah, and then the whole thing with the de- mm. night in the desert happened. Free, extra thrown in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, eventually it took us like what two days to catch up with the with the rally again. So what does the desert look like in the night? Uh, it doesn't look like anything because you can't see anything. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> That's like, so you know when we when we work on ships, right? We have mm-hmm. these these uh, spaces. like white spaces we call them uh-huh. you know and they need to be inspected basically there are just like structural members of the ship in these in these spaces right so there's like a whole list of checklists and stuff you have to do 
Okay. You know, because they are generally not. Uh, I mean, you have to check test the atmosphere and so on. You know, you do oxygen level tests and and check for explosive gases and so on before you enter, okay. because it's uh -huh. not normally where where people go. Uh huh. And these are the like if you really you always think like you're in the dark, right? But uh -huh. wherever you are, uh, as long as you're close to a city, there's like this smidge of always that smidge of light from somewhere. Uh mm huh. -hmm. But like in the spaces on the ship, if you turn off your flashlight. that is pitch dark like oh, okay. even if you sit there for 10 minutes your eyes don't adjust because mm. there is just nothing there's no reference wow. it's there's no light dark. at all uh -huh. yeah. and this was the same in the desert there's just it, there was no like you could see a few stars but there was no moon oh and there was just nothing it was just pitch pitch dark mm. and i think eventually after a few hours i started like hearing things because i always thought that i could hear a truck in the distance that you know the trucks coming to pick me up wow um mm. actually at one point of time it wasn't pitch dark yet i heard something that spooked me and then it turned out it was just wild camels oh but it was it was a bit, bit <laughs> spooky because you were in the middle of the dunes right i couldn't see them uh. I, i could just hear weird noises and i was like okay. <laughs> <laughs> like an audio uh. mirage Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was a mixed experience, and then eventually I was so tired that I think by midnight I just fell asleep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just to be woken up by the actual sound of a of a big six by six. Yeah. And blinding lights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Michael Radio Broadcast. Listen, connect, ride on. In our continuing saga of bringing to you stories of the people who make up the motorcycle community. in and around india we have on the long way home ashish raurane a cross country rider who's training hard even as we speak to take on dakar in january 2021 someone who's been contributing to our soundboard feature which is expert advice on all things motorcycling is pinil vargis of the blog leavetheroad.in and sounds like his voice has <laughs> gone off road as well bangalore weather I did see someone wearing a down jacket in the Anandam Biryani queue in Hoskote. Boy, we gotta try this out. One kilometer long queue. Yeah, and uh, early morning, four a.m. to six thirty. Everything's gone. We're also delighted that we are getting more volunteers to chip in and do the soundboard. So listen carefully. If you think you too can contribute, like Binil Vargis of Leave the Road dot. IN has been uh, on topics of his expertise, and this could be anything. about gear travel packing servicing buying selling anything that involves motorcycles then get in touch with us we'll help you with it and get you on air bill vargi is here and this time it's on off roading what else You are listening to the Biker Radio Soundboard 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 Hi I'm Binil Vargis from leave the road dot in a blog about motorcycles life and all in between I will be your soundboard today on the Biker Radio broadcast. Today we are talking about off-roading for beginners. So, what is off-roading? In simple terms, off-roading is the activity of driving or riding a vehicle on an unsurfaced road or tracks such as sand, gravel, mud, snow, rocks or any other natural terrain. These can constitute of purpose-built tracks, a barren piece of land, or a trail through the woods, a goat path, or even jungles. Riding your motorcycles off-road, off the beaten path, and tackling the routes less traveled can be a lot of fun. But you need to be careful you do not get lost. 
While I am someone who believes that the best off-road motorcycle is the one you own, taking a purpose-built motorcycle helps add to the fun factor. Motorcycles in the adventure or the dual-purpose category work best when it comes to tackling a trail. These motorcycles usually come with a larger front wheel like a 19 or a 21-incher and a higher ground clearance to help with the rocky surfaces. Currently, for beginners in India, the only purpose-built motorcycle for off-road use is the 200cc Hero Expulse and the Royal Enfield Himalayan which is additionally good for touring as well. In the modification category, people have been retrofitting the Charisma engine on the Hero Impulse to extract a hybrid for the dirt. It is best to avoid low riding motorcycles as they have a higher chance of getting stuck. To start with, you could rent or borrow a suitable motorcycle. Off-roading can be unpredictable. It is best that you experiment with company for a short half-day ride and learn the ropes before going all out to embrace the sport. A fall or a puncture is inevitable. Plan your time off the road. Darkness sets in quick in the bush, so keep track of time. Carry tools, parts like an extra chain link, plugs, accelerator and clutch cables, some extra fuel, a puncture kit and more importantly learn how to use them. It is better to be over prepared than not enough. Take a friend along. You will want help in case of an occasional fall in the middle of nowhere. Protective riding gear like jackets, gloves, knee armor and boots are a must. Preferably something that is flexible as off-roading will make you move in ways you usually wouldn't while touring on a motorcycle. However, make sure your gear is breathable. Wearing the wrong jacket can add to your dehydration. Carry food and water with you. You will drain your energy and dehydrate, especially in India-like weather patterns. I carry a hydration pack and some granola bars to help me with this. Any time is trail time. However, monsoons and winters are the best. Though you will need some skills to tackle mud and rocks in the rains. When doing longer trails across multiple days, it would be a good idea to combine off-roading with some camping. And if you're hooked and you want to take it to the next level, I will suggest you to do at least a level 1 course at an off-road training school. To name a few in India, we have CS Santosh's Big Rock Dirt Park near Bangalore, the School of Dirt by Ausip Chako in Kerala, the Enduro Park in Pune, the Throttle Shuttle Motor Ranch near Delhi. These are few examples where you can try it out. Catch some of my off-road adventure experiences on my blog on motorcycles, life and all in between. That's it from me, Binal Varghese from leavetheroad.in for the Biker Radio Soundboard. Listen, connect, ride on. You are listening to the Biker Radio Soundboard. Soundboard. Well, thanks, Binil. Anand, yum, biryani be yours, my friend. We say brandy and pepper is equally exotic, though. Hi, this is Ashish Rawrani. And you're listening to the Biker Radio Broadcast. In physics, chemistry, math, I've scored 99.7, believe it or not. <laughs> What about the point three that got away? I, I forgot to answer one question. <laughs> <laughs> What do you remember the question? <laughs> <laughs> the Maharashtra state boards. Oh yeah, there's like another 2000 kids that have 99.7. Oh, really? Welcome back to the long way home on the Biker Radio broadcast. I'm Shandy and I'm Sunny. And today on the show with us is cross country rally champion Ashish Rao Rane. Ashish comes across as quite a personality, you know, welterweight, a wiry jockey frame, a snapback cap. a chunky sports watch 
and inked arms. He makes exciting material for our photographer. And not exactly the shy boy from Kolhapur. No, I grew up in Kolhapur. Right. Very, very small place. And I grew up a very, very introverted and, and shy kid. Again, considering, you know, small town, mm. so on. I think after 10th grade was probably when I first kind of traveled out of Kolhapur. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was when dad... Dad, both mom and dad used to work for, for a bank and dad was transferred out of Kolhapur and uh, he was in Pune. Mm. Okay. That's when I first kind of moved out. But Mochan was something that we were always looking, you know, looking at. Okay. And after 12th, I moved to Chennai for, for schooling. For basically college, actually, the academy, the Marine Academy was in, in Chennai. Right. Uh-huh. And that was, I would say, my first kind of, you know, exposure to a lot of different people and, you know, different viewpoints and staying in a hostel and, and so mm. on. Because even in Pune, you know, okay, you're, you're still not far away from home, right? You're 200 kilometers from home. And <laughs> right. Yeah. You're, you're just surrounded by people who speak the same language and, you know, have the same cultures and so on. Right. So I think that was uh, the the Marine Academy was was a big change for me. Right. Those uh, one and a half year years I spent in in Chennai. Post that, I went out sailing, and that was the first kind of you know you step into the whole international world and see. And that's why I started with the Scandinavian company. So you can imagine like the cultural difference. Right. Uh, and it was a big step for the company as well at that time because this was we were like the first batch of of uh, indian recruits okay oh. you know so so again denmark small country scandinavians they also very restricted to their own little little world that they live in uh-huh. so i think the only indians at that point in 99 they had seen was probably on simpsons apu was probably the their only reference of an indian <laughs> 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 so yeah, there was like a big, you know, change of mindset and so on that happened. In the, but in but what, what made you take up uh, Merchant Navy? I mean, where did that come from? I think that decision stems from a very Indian thing of, uh, you know, uh, either either you're continuing your sports uh, career uh-huh. and then, you know, you, you kind of go into arts or commerce so that you can dedicate more time to sports. Okay. Or you you pick up science where you then go the academic way. Uh-huh. And I think that that was a decision that I was playing with uh, around those years. Because in, in Maharashtra, you have like 10 plus 2, right? Mm. So after 10th grade, you kind of already need to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can join, uh, there's junior college, 11th and 12th. Correct. Right. So, so you kind of pick up commerce or arts uh-huh. you go into the science stream and then you have uh-huh. lesser time to for for sports and other activities uh-huh. so after 10th like that was the safer bet to pursue science because it would eventually leave me with with more options after the 12th all right right so i like through school i juggled quite well between academics and sports uh-huh and you know Maharashtra state boards again. It's uh, it's more about what you can retain than what you learn. So 
Yeah. And then it's uh, it's state boards, right? Mm-hmm. Physics, physics, chemistry, math is heavily heavily uh, relied mm-hmm. upon for entrances and stuff like that. So I mm-hmm. kind of, I've, I've in, in the in in physics, chemistry, math, I've scored ninety nine point seven. Believe it or not. Wow. wow. <laughs> what about the point three that got away? I I forgot to answer one question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember the question? <laughs> <laughs> so there was kind of I I kind of messed that up because there was like option A B answer any one, yeah. And then there was another question uh-huh. below it, and I answered one instead of those two options. <laughs> I took three and then answered any one. <laughs> no, but like I said, you know, uh, the Maharashtra State Boards, their their joke that that doesn't mean anything, right? Because mm. when I when the results came out, uh-huh. the twelfth results came out, right? You go there, and there's like this huge notice board that. Uh, that you got and you checked uh, right mm-hmm. 99.7 oh yeah there's like another 2000 kids that have 99.7 oh, so really? <laughs> right so okay. then they compare they they compare your they compare your uh, english marks oh. uh, okay that's the next aggregator right uh, okay then you're down to like okay 1500 other people have the same english marks as you <laughs> okay oh, then they they fall back on your 10th on your 10th uh, aggregate marks then oh, they fall back on your 10th english so it just it's it's a joke yeah <laughs> right and with that so there was there's this uh, college of engineering pune which is kind of considered one of the premier engineering institutions here okay uh-huh. yeah i couldn't get in there with yeah. that okay yeah oh. they they with they, 99.7 they huh? yeah in pcm they were never entertaining me <laughs> so it's nothing great like I and said, which year joke. is this <laughs> this is uh, 99 oh awesome <laughs> so yeah this... because and and you know it's like i kind of when i when i went for my uh, marine academy interview right and that is where i i met a lot of people so there's a very close friend of mine now but you know i just met him there uh-huh. he was from dehradun and uh, he's like he 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 said the same thing आप तो महाराष्ट्र से हो यू नो यू मस्ट हैव स्कोर लाइक 99 समथिंग सो या इट्स काइंड ऑफ या काइंड ऑफ अ जोक आई आई थिंक द एजुकेशन सिस्टम हैज चेंज्ड अ लॉट बिकॉज़ दे लाइक गॉट इन द होल सीईटी नाउ एंड थिंग्स लाइक दैट या बट लाइक आई सेड थ्रू स्कूल आई वाज आई वाज काइंड ऑफ जगलिंग स्पोर्ट्स एंड दिस क्वाइट वेल इन फैक्ट वी हैड I changed schools in sixth grade because of sports, because okay. we had uh, in Kolhapur we had a lot of these cricket camps. So you know the trainers from Pune, mm-hmm. some people who had played in Ranji and so on. These guys they always came during summer vacations. They used to host like cricket camps, you know, to spot talent and so on. Okay. And after the fifth grade, I had kind of gone for one of these camps and. the school that i was in that was uh, seven day adventist uh, school that had absolutely no sports connections you know oh. mm-hmm. a very academic uh, catholic school mm-hmm. and the school that i changed to they had actually organized this camp because okay. they had a cricket ground and they had two football stadiums and so on oh. there was uh, they were very pro sports and after this camp summer camp they kind of came to my father and said you need to kind of you know move this guy to our school oh and then we can we can you know help him with with the whole sports sports side of things 
so these guys they were like this school was so pro sport that even during the academic year they like closer to the seasons right there used mm-hmm. to be the football season and cricket season and so on mm-hmm. everyone who was on the team they were exempt from school because we stayed on campus they had a hostel only for athletes mm. oh what you school know, was this the, what uh, school this was this is the school run by run by the royal family of kolhapur it's called chhatrapati shah vidyalaya ah okay and they it's the area is huge because it's it's the schools built inside this whole palace area oh acres and acres of land they have two football grounds imagine they have a cricket a whole full fully fledged cricket uh, not a stadium but a whole cricket ground mm-hmm. and they had various different places they have tennis basketball courts and Wow. Schools always been very very pro sport, good infra- infrastructure. So if you wanted to be in sports, that was the school always to be in. Right, you must yeah. have quite a few illustrious uh, colleagues coming from there because with such a facility, I'm sure uh, other serious sportsmen would have was was yeah. it the case? Uh, there there have been uh, like you know people have gotten up to up to Ranjis and and so on. Okay. Uh, football. The school was really good at football, but again, it's not. you know the sport never got that kind of attention right in those years especially so right. the football guys they they managed i mean yeah they they still play and you know but they play for like railways and you know they've right. gotten into those streams right? right so through the sports quota they have those jobs and so on right but yeah the camps during the camps we just we were exempt from school and you know we went there in the morning for the assembly and then that was it mm. yeah present mm-hmm. ma'am and then you just left the being a maharashtrian um, moving out from maharashtra is i believe considered quite a big thing isn't it that's the story yeah. i used to get huh? all my friends who came from maharashtra yaar oh, nobody who comes out from there <laughs> no i don't i mean uh, i would say uh, there was there was a whole this whole uh, conflicted thing when that career decision came right mm. uh uh-huh. because because i got into that marine academy and mm. this was again i got through a scholarship program with the company okay and my father was a bit hesitant like you know but my mom was like no this is what we decided and we we will not hold him back you know uh if he's got the opportunity he's got to go so yeah they i i'm sure that that decision for both of them was was very difficult but i think uh, in the end mom was the the driver where she said that uh, we got to we got to let him go yeah mm-hmm. and yeah eventually i think uh, i think it has turned out very well the decision yeah i think it was uh, kitty who told us something about pune she said something like whatever happens in pune stays in pune or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah pune is again uh, it's got a very different culture i moved to pune 2006 mm. and uh, yeah the city has got its own own way of doing things <laughs> when it comes to everything even the corona virus really <laughs> really <laughs> oh all helmets oh, oh yeah. helmets. <laughs> we we protested helmets Yeah. <laughs> so um, while helmets are are compulsory, for instance, in Bombay, they are not compulsory in Pune. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 
<laughs> I think we have a lot of listeners in Pune. <laughs> well, it is it is what it is. <laughs> what would you like to tell them? You know, <laughs> I, 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 the, the biggest message I would say is wear a helmet because yeah. it's it's incredible what you see in Pune with the with the traffic sense and and uh, just just the way people are on. I mean, we have such a huge population of two wheelers, especially right. Pune is a city yeah. of two wheelers. Right, and considering how many people are going the wrong way, breaking rules, not respecting traffic signals, and so on, I think the least you can do is put on a helmet. Right. You'll have to take us back all the way to when you started. Where does it start for you? Motorcycling goes goes way back. Racing starts pretty pretty recent, 2015, in fact. Uh huh. Early 2015, that was that was by accident that I started kind of racing and I liked it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I I mean, six years ago, if you asked me, would I be doing the Dakar? That would have been. It wasn't even like remotely remotely on the cards. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, the the thing was that I I had always missed sports because through school I've always been involved in sports like. I played cricket, state levels. I played table tennis, state levels. Oh, okay. So, and you know, both my mom, dad, they they used to be very you know big sports people, uh-huh. uh, and they always carried that. My mom used to play badminton. Dad used to play cricket. Okay. So, so they from from. The very early stages, we have always been involved in sports, like whatever it is, you know, sports days. And mom, dad never missed any any kind of sporting events through school. You're listening to the Michael Radio Broadcast. Listen, connect, ride on. Okay, we had heard a lot about Ashish over the last two years, but had not yet had the opportunity to meet him and listen to his story and. And the IBW is not the best place to get into one of our long way home interviews because, as the name goes, when we get chatty with our guests, the road just goes on and on and on as we pick <laughs> up the stories along the by lanes and the back lanes. But Ashish was more than generous with his time. Yeah, as were Candida, Maral, Neharika, Arjun, even Naveen Nandal of TNT Motors. The entire galaxy of royalty has just been very accommodating. Yes, and thank you for that. So there we were, just after breakfast on a lazy December Sunday morning at the restaurant at Kochikos at Vagator Goa, eager to find out the story of how Ashish got into cross-country rally racing, and that too by accident. This is Ashish Rawrane. You're listening to Biker Radio Broadcast, and this is the long way home. I have no like family connect to motorsport or racing, or you know. So I'm a marine engineer by profession, and uh, I've always been connected to motorcycles, you know, traveling, touring. Uh, but over the last five years, it's been more of racing, cross country rallying, to be more specific. Uh, but yeah, the journey's always started with you know motorcycles right from stealing my dad's uh, ESD that he had. Uh, I was in like seventh or eighth grade when I first started stealing my mom's Luna. Oh, <laughs> you know, so I with her. yeah. So there was a Luna with the uh, with the pedal, and I I grew up in Kolhapur, 
so there's a very small uh, place a fort called panara uh-huh. where you, you know you can it's it's bit of a climb it's on the on the mountain top right so the lunas couldn't make it on top you had to pedal so that's how it started from a cycle to a luna the luna came with a normal handle right like a cycle handle i used to swap out that handle for a straight bar like a drag bar and then try to go fast on the luna <laughs> which well, wasn't very fast but you know yeah well <laughs> no handlebars do a, no just, to the bike. yeah no it's also the mental yeah. uh, you know image that you have when you like you slouch down and you think you're going really fast but you really aren't and when you hit like a small uphill you still need to pedal the luna so <laughs> do you think a motorcycle uh, enhances your mental image of yourself I I think yes uh, in in various ways and it's different for everyone but uh, I think motorcycles offer you that mind space that I don't think any other sport for instance or activity can can offer you because it's so involving uh, especially with racing yeah uh, the preparation that goes around for me for racing you know it's months and months of mental preparation and there's so much anxiety and stuff but once you get on the motorcycle you put the helmet on there's literally no space for any other thought and i think that's what is so good for me that you know you can literally be in a mind space where you have no mental capacity for anything else you're just focused on you know riding a motorcycle so yeah definitely uh, there's a, there's a lot of mental connect and if you ask me like 6 years ago if i would be racing i wouldn't have imagined it myself uh, i would say you know an accidental racer uh, that's uh, <laughs> so, so what happened Uh, 6 years ago so i have a very close friend who used to you know take part in rider mania events and you know so he had uh, a bullet 350 which he called uh, yamasaki because it had more yamaha and kawasaki parts on it than royal enfield uh, totally scrambled out and he he used to love dirt riding so um, he came home one morning 1 am in the morning right calls me is like you know garmi bijli nahi hai tere ghar pe hai kya said yeah yeah there's electricity okay main aa raha hu so he came over like middle of the night uh, he's like you know i'm bored and there are two documentaries this is saturday night right so he's like uh, sunday morning we have to go riding so he's like i've got two documentaries you have to watch them so we watched uh, uh, you know um, dust to glory i don't know if you guys have seen the documentary the documentary covers uh, a race in mexico which is called the baja 1000 so it's a point to point race uh, 24 hours to finish 1000 miles okay so 1600 kilometers and you're allowed to have multiple riders and in fact couple of indians actually just did it now yeah couple of weeks back um so it's totally like about off road because it's a off road rally that happens in 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 the baja uh, california baja and into mexico So we watch this thing and you know we are all pumped up and he's come on this scrambler so we watch this thing then we watch um, on any sunday uh, the other one so it's like 5 o'clock in the morning we have some coffee and we're like yeah let's go you know ride so my wife owns a 390 duke you know so he said yeah, yeah i have this yamasaki and you take your duke and you know let's go off roading went out close to pune there's a place where most of the royal enfield riders go it's called slopes of hell it's like a small little hill climb that was my first taste of off roading so i went out and you know i fell a couple of times but you know it was insane fun and 
just the first time I got off tarmac because before that I had been extensively touring India like you know all four corners of India so that was my first experience you know just off road and I was like wow this is insane fun you know you don't have to follow a track or you know just going through small forest trails and stuff like that so we we finished the whole thing we came down you know again chai and uh, you know some snacks and then we started thinking yeah man we should do something we should do something so we like acha raid the himalaya karte and we had absolutely no idea what we were getting ourselves into you know uh, you know how plans are made you know <laughs> no, you know chai so so yeah you know chai pire ha yaar raid the himalaya karenge and you know sometimes you say something and then obviously nobody follows up on it you know it's like you know gang of bikers saying ha karenge kal karenge and you know but uh, the two of us were like yeah yeah we we need we'll do something and this was like you know in uh, early jan so i went out sailing came back and that seed was planted you know uh, i was thinking for the next 3 months that yeah yeah we need to do something you know i mean i've done a lot of touring there's been a lot of you know road travel so yeah we should do something so when i came back it was me and uh, in the in those 3 months on the ship uh, i was researching about the red the himalaya and you know being an indian rally and indian motorsport obviously there wasn't much information there were some clips here and there uh, and you know i could get some information website wasn't really updated and you know same same stuff that happens on uh, with it's very typically indian that you know things are not up to date and you know 2015 ka hai but 2014 ka information hai and supplement regulations stuff like that but anyways we, i got the, uh, it's the same <laughs> it's improving definitely improving i would say so we got uh, yeah so i came back and one thing was clear that uh, we need to understand how time cards work so uh, that that part we had figured out you know that uh, rallies are done with time cards and we did not know at that point uh, what time cards look like even you know but we realized that okay before going to something like raid maybe it's a good idea to go to a single day rally you know just to understand what happens so we said okay chalo then we researched a little bit and we wanted to go to nasik because that was the next round that was happening and it was pretty close to us from pune so we called the organizers the organizer said uh, the organizer what bikes are you on so we like yeah the only bike we have is an adventure motorcycle that's the tiger so they like you know nobody rallies on adventure motorcycles so we said yeah nobody does it doesn't mean you can't do it we can do it right so they're like yeah yeah of course you can do it no problem then they said they went one step further and said you know what uh, we want more people to come in so if you guys get five riders we can form a class for you so then me and my friend dhawal we we went to the showroom and you know we went to the dealer and we started like you know evening maybe every thursday there's a triumph meet happening ki chalo chalo yaar someone we somehow got four guys and we just couldn't find that last guy and then uh, there was there was one guy you know it professional he's like i'm 50 plus and racing is not my cup of tea so we were like yaar you just come and don't race but make the entry because it's 1000 rupees just you know make to make the class come on so he said okay chalo i'll come it will be a ride so that's how we went for the nasik rally didn't know so two days before we left for the nasik rally we met another friend of ours a common friend who had done the nasik rally the previous year on on a, on a bullet 
so he came we sat you know with coffee and he explained to us the best you know how time cards work and you know we still hadn't seen what a time card looks like but he tried to explain to us kaise hota hai check in kya hota hai check out kya hota hai you know early check in penalty late check in penalty so on so on so yeah okay we said chalo chalo we went to nasik that was the first time i was in a race environment um and then you know i saw the all the flashy guys tvs factory racer and arvin kp was there ah oh, arvin kp you know <laughs> so all that whole thing happened there were a lot of people we saw on enduro bikes like i have now also you know very flashy kits and all and i assumed like wow these guys must be really fast but they were, turned out they weren't <laughs> uh, so there also we have the visual spectacle yeah yeah i mean yeah motorsport is such a visual sport also right i mean it's so much of uh, any form of motorsport there's so much visuals to it and you know so much of uh, drama to it so you could get waylaid yes definitely definitely um yeah you could you could start chasing that instead of the actual goal you know that could happen but um yeah nasik rally flagged off and me and my friend who had gone turned out we ended up on the podium first rally. first rally he was second i was third i was i i learned the most valuable lesson of rally rally racing at my very first rally do not believe what marshals tell you <laughs> yeah because i I uh, I was at the check-in waiting to cross the the clock and they just waved me in ki yeah you can check in early because anyways the stage starts on the other side and first rally marshal bol raha hai obviously it must be correct I went in I clocked I checked in 1 minute early so I got a 2 minute penalty for it so there are two very valuable lessons don't believe marshals if you are in doubt of your check-in time always check in late because the late penalty is 1 minute but early is 2 <laughs> so yeah so i got penalized by 2 minutes and that's how i ended up third uh, and my friend was second otherwise it would have been reverse but anyways for us you know first rally and you know standing on the podium with a trophy and all we're like wow this this yeah this is good yeah this could work <laughs> was that visual uh yeah to a extent definitely you know uh, but we also spoke to so many people who had done raid the himalaya and each and every one told both of us that you cannot do the raid on the tiger 800 yeah that is what we heard for the two days over the weekend that you cannot do it on this bike it's that we were you know putting ourselves at risk and we were stupid and you know it's a waste of a lot of money and don't even bother and so on so on the way back me and my friend we decided now we have to do it on the 800 tiger <laughs> you know so what we figured from that whole conversation was not the negative part of it but we figured that nobody's done it on a tiger you know you know let's do it on a tiger so then we started researching a little bit more and you know looking at raid youtube videos and so on so on i went back sailing again dawal was back here but unfortunately he he was doing some trails and you know also trying to train a little bit he had a crash and he he broke his wrist oh. and post that uh, obviously his wrist was not healed so eventually it was just me who ended up at at raid the himalaya mm. at raid the himalaya which year is this 2015 17th uh, raid the himalaya yeah even there people were just looking at me that you know i was this idiot maybe you know with a lot of extra cash to throw around that had just shown up there on a on a big motorcycle one guy in fact came to me and told me bhai you are not going to make it to manali really yeah yeah so you know i was like okay man 
but it turned out that he didn't make it to manali <laughs> eventually karma i guess <laughs> but i also spoke to vijay parmar before the race and i had i i had gone there we had the tracks i had pre run the thing you know where it allows you that so i had put in a lot of hard work and i also spoke to to uh, to vijay around around that time and he also said yeah okay it's not been done on a big motorcycle but so what you know but he said you need to have your strategy in place and i told him yeah, i am very clear i want to finish the rally i'm not going to try to shave off seconds of corners because if i drop my motorcycle it's going to take me minutes to pick it up so there's no point trying to shave off seconds and he said yeah that's what i would do also you know so just take it easy but i think raid was a a fantastic experience not just riding but also getting into the race community and rally racing community is i always say that competition in rally racing is very different from track racing because in track racing you're fighting elbow to elbow with with your competitors you know so there's more aggressiveness here you know the mechanics do the best for you to or you do the best to prepare your motorcycles you do the best to prepare yourself and then you're racing against the clock so at the end of the day there's not real you know that kind of rivalry between competitors in general and i think i i really like that race environment you know at the end of the day everyone's talking about their experience and so on so on uh, raid was i wouldn't say it was easy for me it was definitely it's it's a difficult race anyways and i was on a big motorcycle but it turned out in group a which is the foreign motorcycles i finished 5th and overall in the 75 motorcycles that started i finished 12th you know and it was i wouldn't say i was racing at that time i wasn't i was surviving you know and that was that's another key lesson for cross country rallying that you need to understand when to push you know which are your strong points what what areas you need to go fast save the machine you know because it's it's not one day right it's not a two hour race so raid happened uh, good result i was happy but i think that is where it was like okay now what next you know so again the whole and me another chai session in the morning you know and yeah then i said okay chalo october ho gaya i am going back now but when i come back there's first edition of india bar happening let's let's try and uh, there both of us realized that okay now this is not the motorcycle that we should have in the in the des- in the sand but nevertheless we did a little bit of sand riding and you know santosh was there at the time um, he had done a small school day before the in first very first india baha so again we went early to meet uh, cs santosh and you know to meet cs santosh so india baha flagged off very first edition me and dhawal we lasted for all of 13 kilometers that's it because it was a night stage already we were on heavy bikes so as soon as we hit the dune sections we couldn't spot you know uh, the dunes properly and big bike not enough experience yeah it was a natural outcome of uh, our uh, you know lack of research so to say or stupidity <laughs> but anyways you know that was it so okay desert riding we can't i'm i'm not i mean right now i i, I would say that it's not that you can't do it on 800 but we just lack the skills and and the the you know physical ability to to do that on a on a 800 cc motorcycle or that heavy motorcycle so again back to the drawing board you know go back home another sai session ki next kya hai acha desert storm is coming up in in a few months so then i realized uh, dhawal said yeah, you know my wrist is not good enough to do desert storm so 
I'm not. I said, no, I'm going to do Desert Storm for sure. So then I started looking around, okay, say, you know, bikes are not available and, you know, what are what are people doing? Uh, people on enduro bikes, so they're modifying the 390. So I didn't want to go the 390 route. I wanted to, you know, do it properly. So I started looking for an enduro bike and I sold my other bike. I found a beat-up 2005 model Yamaha WR250. It was in pretty poor shape, but, you know, it was a light motorcycle and, well, you know, I wasn't that fast, so it would it would do. So Desert Storm happened on that motorcycle. Um, there was a very big learning curve at Desert Storm because the stages were much longer than raid. Yeah. Temperatures were way higher. Yeah. It was, you know, end of April. Um... So physically, at the end of the desert storm, I was tired, you know, every day tired, you know, crashes, tired, and it's a stacking effect, you know, things get worse, but I had a I had a crash, I <coughs> separated my shoulder, but anyways, I, I finished the race because I wanted to finish the rally, you know, and again, surviving, surviving, there were 30 competitors, I think only 12 finished, I finished 10th. Um, overall and and again seventh in in the group <laughs> again you know okay but when I came back I realized that okay if I want to do this um, there needs to be a full shift in I need to basically approach it like an athlete now you know because um, there's money involved and yeah it has to comp- undergo a full change um, and then race machine maybe and you know so anyways I had the 250 so this happened in like May I went back sailing started working on fitness started researching again you know how how people uh, get fit for rallying or what are the you know very particular exercises that need to be done and so on so I went back to the next desert storm again with uh, uh, this 450 that I have now you're listening to the Michael Radio Broadcast listen connect right on so we'll take a short detour here in fact we'll take the ktm adventure detour here because candida lewis is out riding it and the man in motorcycle armor is none other than sukesh vishwanath filmmaker and motorcycle tourer reporting from the western ghats on my way if this is the first time you've heard of my way believe us you missed a hell of a lot so it won't matter if you can go back and listen to all the episodes again. My Way is a road report of a motorcycle ride that people are on. Take it away, Sukesh. My Way. Hi, this is Sukesh Vishwanath reporting for Biker Radio Broadcast. Well, I'm originally from Uti, but uh, I've been working as a filmmaker in Mumbai and traveling around on motorcycles. But recently, about a year back, my parents shifted their base to Mysore, where I've been staying throughout the lockdown and operating from here. So, well, now I could call Mysore my hometown. We're doing about a 15-day ride across Karnataka, chasing different trails and geographies ranging from rainforest to waterfall to temple town to beaches. And the reason why I came on this ride was because I had just purchased a new motorcycle, which is a KTM Adventure 390. And around the same time, my good friend Candida was collaborating with KTM India to do a ride across Karnataka and make a small video. I've been doing this ride with the infamous Candida Lewis. I'm sure everybody knows who that is. And for those of you all who don't, she is the girl who did a solo ride from Bangalore to Australia on her Dominar. We've always been wanting to collaborate and ride together for a long time, but for some reason our timeline never matched. 
and fortunately things all fell in place and I jumped on board immediately. So the plan was to stay at Candida's place in Hubli and do day trips to all of these places and ride back home, having as little to no contact with the locals as possible, as that kind of seemed like the more responsible way to travel in today's world. As far as food was concerned, we were trying to pack uh, most of the food from home and make some chai on the way in our little camping stove. So we are about uh, 95% through the trip and since I left from Mysore, I've already covered about 2,500 kilometers and I think there's another 700 kilometers or so left by the time I get back. The last couple of destinations are quite far off from Hubli and it's been raining cats and dogs. So we had to do a change in plan and halt at our friend's place in Mangalore. And I would say that was a blessing in disguise and I cannot even tell you how much fish we've been consuming. After so many months, we even got a bit tempted and went to the world-famous Giri Manjas for lunch. Oh boy, I was high on food. Now that Karnataka has become my new home, it was a great way to explore our own backyard and I think this applies to anybody living anywhere. If I have to pick one location that's very unique, it would be the Yana Caves. It's about one and a half hour ride from Gokarna. And once you start to trek into the forest, these structures just appear in front of you and the sheer magnitude would just blow your mind away. It almost looks like an ancient gothic structure, but they're naturally formed rocks. And it also has a cave system that runs inside of it and beautiful wildlife around that area as well. So anybody traveling in that Gokarna region should definitely check this place out. The monsoon vibe and the lush green, the hidden waterfalls and blue lagoons in these hills of Karnataka has been breathtaking almost. Kind of makes you wonder if these are even spots in India. It's still raining in most parts of Karnataka and uh, maybe except for the coastline where it's super hot and humid. Yesterday we were riding in non-stop rain for about 4 hours and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And for people who don't enjoy that, please check the weather before you come here. And that's it from me. I'm Sukesh Vishwanath and this is My Way. My Way. Thanks, Sukesh. We wish you boatloads more of fish. <laughs> I tried the mermaid costume, but it seems to have shrunk or maybe I've grown. But we bait you to come and join us on the show one of these days, Sukesh. Hi, this is Ashish Rawrani and you're listening to the Biker Radio Broadcast. This is something that I've learned in racing. There will always be someone with more money and better equipment than you. This is a fact you have to get used to. But you got to do the best with what you have. What you have. Right now, we're with Ashish Rawrani, champion rally racer. And although rally racing is a competitive sport, and while Ashish comes across as a very measured person, it was not entirely surprising to discover the softer human virtue of sharing and having a good time underneath that metallic sheen. Ashish has in fact noticed that somehow it is the people who he meets that help him connect the dots as he steers his catamaran through choppy waters. This is Ashish Raurane. You're listening to Biker Radio Broadcast and this is The Long Way Home. Every race, I have met someone who has played a part in my life, you know, maybe a year later. Going forward. Yeah, so like India Baha, where, you know, we just, we were on the Tigers. There was a guy there who used to race back in his days, you know. But now, well into his 40s, he got that Kida to do something. He showed up at India Baha 
very well to do guy so he just showed up there he had bought uh, this 450 from a guy in Rajasthan he had the money to buy it he just picked it up he rode it all of 6 kilometers okay he was out of the rally before us but anyways i had met him there and you know we had gone on talking and i was like yeah great machine and you know where are you from yeah i'm from bombay so on so on one year later you know 3 weeks before the next desert storm he messages me hey do you remember i this bike i had i want to sell this bike because i have not started that bike since the last india baha so if you know someone you know so i got to thinking yeah man this is a good bike to go go to the desert storm so then i started contacting my friends to not sell the 450 but to sell my 250 <laughs> you know <laughs> that okay i am i want to sell my 250 you know uh, then uh, there was a friend in goa in fact and he said yeah, yeah i'll pick up your 250 so i contacted this guy i told him hey, listen i'm on the ship but i'm coming back and you know i don't have all the money to pay you for the 450 but i'll pay i'm selling this bike of mine i'll give you a little bit of money and then when this bike changes hands i'll get the money and i'll give it to you so he's like yeah yeah no problem just when you come down you know so i came back from the ship i came to bombay i went straight to this guy and we had we made a deal and i looked at the bike and i was like yeah i'm in love with this bike you know so i picked up this bike like two weeks before the desert storm um obviously i couldn't i i didn't have a place where i could go and you know test it in sand and stuff like that so we went to jaipur a bit early and bike was phenomenal i was so happy and then you get also in a more confident mental state so that the storm was was pretty good for me um i had also gone with with a friend of mine who was helping me with the service uh, tanya my wife she is been part of the team like from the get go so you know she's driving the service truck uh, the other friend of mine is helping so because we need to put together like a team you know who will help us the other guy is helping me load and offload the bike and tanya in the desert storm is known as this mad woman who just he's ra- is having a own race in the service car in this in the service truck she's like yeah because they have to give fuel right, right. and in desert storm uh, the fueling is done by by the competitors so the service truck has to reach there before you reach there otherwise you lose time so they have their own map to follow so tanya is known in the circle like yeah yeah wo white wala issues hai usko follow karne ka so that was pretty uh, that was pretty cool actually the desert storm was was good at that desert storm um, santosh was there uh, obviously um, he was riding a suzuki at the time he had a deal with suzuki at the time with him was a guy from spain uh, jordi grau who owns a suzuki uh, dealership in, uh, in in spain in lleida very close to barcelona okay uh, jordi's played a very big role in uh, santosh's racing career as well funny how things work out when i was researching online for the desert storm i needed a trippy device mm. you know that the navigation the trippy navigation device mm-hmm. uh, no one had it in india i needed some clamps uh, for it and i google 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 ka se milega i found some guy in uh, spain he said yeah i have the clamps there is one guy who's going to come to india uh, jordi grau i will give it to him so you save on shipping and tax so i was like yeah cool so i went and spoke to jordi because he had to give me a clamp and you know he gave me the clamp at the start of the race i did everything after the race was done i went to thank him that you know just thanks for bringing and bring the clamp and so on and he's like you know i've seen you race he said and you have very good temperament so 
if you ever want to do this you know further or think about something bigger just you know message me and we will figure something out at that point of time i did not know who jody grau was and what role he had played in uh, santosh's life but that is another crazy story actually because jody grau did not know who santosh was when santosh went for his his dakar suresh babu who was with uh, suzuki right he went to jody and said hey jody uh, this is santosh and we would like to do something together and you know it's dakar and everybody's busy and jody was like yeah yeah some crazy indian said something you know uh, but eventually jody went home to spain and then he looked up who suresh babu was and he's like ah he's with suzuki and so on and that's how that parallel journey had already started and then it would turn out that now jody would play a very you know important role in my my racing career as well um so yeah i finished the desert storm it was a good experience i was thinking what next and you know i went back to the ship but obviously i got in touch with jody and by that time i already knew that international rallying requires you know navigation and so on and which was not happening in india and from the next year me and santosh we had already started pushing northern motorsport to introduce you know rally uh, rally based uh, paper based navigation road book based navigation and that started happening in the in the next editions where one day it was only only uh, instead of giving a track they would only give waypoints which were 3 4 kilometers apart and it would there would be a road book that was given obviously there are there were challenges with you know uh, people or people having limited budgets to buy the road book and so on so on but yeah it's it's moving in the right direction start moving in the right direction we got jordi involved also in making the road books for northern motorsport and stuff okay. like that okay. but once i got in touch with jordi i got a little bit more insight into the international space and you know jordi said okay listen it's going to be expensive you have you will have to come to europe to train and it's going to be expensive you know it's not it's not cheap to be in motorsport anyways and this is the cost and so on and i'll do the best to accommodate you know accommodate you and obviously he had spoken to santosh and he had spoken to me so he had a sense you know okay chalo i can work with this guy so i said yeah okay i mean uh, if we have to do something bigger we need to take that first you know leap of faith and so i said okay i'll go to spain see what jordi has to offer so very first time i went to spain i rode with a couple of spanish you know guys not really uh, like big on the international circuit but still champions of spain and you know and i looked at them and i was like wow the level here is insane something it's else. something else you know um, and this is what it's going to be internationally you know and that was the whole point of jordi asking me to come and and see you know come here so the first day he just took me out to see and he said okay listen in india you might be in the top 30% but this is not going to work if you want to you know but it also turned out that on a on a human connect uh, jordi and me clicked very well you know and uh, tanya had then joined me a little later and you know sometimes you just have that connection you just meet someone and you know you know that okay this is you know you're comfortable with each other and from there on i've been training with uh, jordi for the past you know 3 4 years uh, same like you know santosh has uh, eventually turned out jordi now is part of the hero motorsport uh, team uh, so but i still train with him uh, in fact uh, yesterday when uh, gio uh, sala was here right uh, 
now we were talking about racing and stuff like that and Gio was like uh, hey where do you train so I told him yeah I go to Jordi and he's like wow Jordi Grau let's take a picture and send him a picture so you know he's he's a good guy and you know uh, but like I said things connect and someone always plays an uh, important role lo- role later on so this year uh, we came up with a plan of doing the the world championship the Baha world championship because uh, I did a inter- my first international rally was last year in Pan Africa again uh, I finished I had a I had a good uh, good I would say uh, acceptable performance but I was not satisfied with you know the pace I was carrying at an international level so Jordi and me we got to talking again and we decided that we will do to get more races in and and seat time we will do the world championship of uh, the Baha rounds you know, all, all rounds of world championship and A being a privateer there's always budget constraints on how many races you can do right so these are smaller uh, smaller format races uh, it's a Baha format which means that it's two days and in two days it's generally 500 to 600 kilometers of stage stage racing uh, no, no liaisons very short liaisons so it was a good plan um, when I started off I started off with the Dubai round Jordi uh, obviously was able to help me in Europe with uh, you know the rentals and stuff like that and service team and so on but in Dubai um, I had to contact someone I went out I trained a little bit but again you know uh, in Dubai I would meet someone uh, it's a race team right so you meet there are people coming and hiring the bikes from a race team so I met a guy from Hungary uh-huh. I live, lives in Budapest um, very new to motorcycles very quiet guy and you know we got to talking we spoke like I think hardly for six or seven minutes uh, just before the race when the race started he, he had very little race experience uh, and I already I had a number ahead of him so I started ahead of him I took off and later on the next day I heard that he had a crash on mm. you know at the very start of the rally and he was in the hospital and so on oh, okay. um, so anyways we were on that group of you know the organizer had made a whatsapp group and everyone was sending hey hi hello and so on end of story yeah, that's it uh, from Dubai I went to Portugal I went for the second round and and that that is where I kind of felt very good on a motorcycle you know that okay I'm starting to carry some pace that is that is good now you know I feel good about it came back from the Portugal round I was placed 14 in the world uh, at that time after two rounds went back sailing came back after three months in July the next round was in two weeks again so I came back I had very little prep time but it was it was the the next round was in Spain so Jordi had again organized you know service and so on flew to Spain did the round I was even more satisfied with with the performance you know there was more confidence obviously right you start moving through the rounds and you know so uh, I was still holding 14th 14th place in the world at that time and the race was done I was on the way back home the next round was in two weeks in Hungary Okay. I was in, in, in the Abu Dhabi or Dubai airport Abu Dhabi I think Abu Dhabi airport Tanya was with me and we were thinking okay um, we don't have the money for the last round you know so is it going to add value to the ranking maybe yes maybe no but 
you know so should we do the race should we not do the race and we are talking about this you know sitting in abu dhabi airport flying to bombay and then i get a message from uh, yeah from tamas his name is tamas uh, tamas from uh, budapest is like hey uh, i was following the spanish race and good job and i hope i'll see you in uh, budapest you know uh, for the next hungarian round um i said yeah thanks a lot and but you know the budgets are not working out so uh, most likely not uh he's like okay okay hold on uh, let me see what i can do so he was actually because he had crashed he had he had broken his collarbone and he was not riding for like he's just started riding you know so like good 8 9 months so he had volunteered to be part of the race organization okay now the race entry fee for any of the baha rounds is anywhere between 1200 euros to 1800 euros so he's like yeah let's see so when i landed in bombay he there was a message he said i spoken to the organizers and i'll get you a discount 300 euros to enter this oh. you know just 300 euros which is the national entry so for national riders it's cheap he said but i spoken to them and you know there's a guy from india and you know so on so on and they will give you the national entry they didn't make you a hungarian passport <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good actually it worked in my favor <laughs> but they said you know okay fine you know there's people coming from india it's good for the sport so also in hungary right. and so on you know there's there's exposure and so on so yeah let's get you in 300 i said yeah man thanks a lot but you know i'll still get back to you because there's there's a motorcycle to rent there's tires and you know so a cost is close to like 6000 7000 euros easy like so he's like uh, yeah yeah think about it but i think you know you have done three rounds it's very important that you should do the do the others the last one and you know finish the whole championship and i was also very tempted because no indian was there doing a whole round of championship you know aishwarya was with me and she was the only other girl so yeah we were thinking we were thinking we were thinking and uh, the next day he messaged me like hey you know what actually i have my 450 just take the bike you don't need to pay me rental for it you know and uh, i will uh, you know whatever spares we need i have the spares whatever you use you just you know pay at cost so i said yeah that works you know uh, absolutely and he said yeah i'll you know just come to the airport if you're okay to sleep on the couch i said I will sleep on the floor if I have to if I get to race you know that's what's important I want to race he said yeah because when you come here you can you can sleep you know on the couch here in my house and when we go to the race the organizer is going to you know uh, organize like a hostel for for people who are volunteering for it and you know we'll figure something out like we'll do something so again you know I met this guy and he helped me finish the the world championship So like I said it's always you know karma I don't know if I have karma maybe but also like I say the rally community is is uh, you know very helpful that way um, and this was this was a really fantastic experience and it turned out that you know everyone was like yeah but the race motorcycle the bike is not tuned to you and you know the suspension is going to be stock and you're you're so light and you know I said hey listen I mean this is something that I've learned in racing and what I also said yesterday at my talk is that in racing there will always be someone with more money and better equipment than you there is no this is a fact you have to get used to but you got to do the best with what you have but it turned out that i got my best result at the hungarian baha mm-hmm. yeah the best finish i finished 7th which was the highest finish that i got in the world championship and because you know it was i was there and i was at the start line 
And I was like, Tamas, you know what? You have helped me get to the start line here. I'm just going to just give it my best now. And for the two days, I went the fastest I went over the entire year. And it turned out, yeah, seventh. And then I finished the championship with twelfth uh, in the world, which is, you know, the highest that any Indian has has gotten to. So that was really good. This year, you know, this Baha World Championship was just just brilliant. Uh, not only for for the racing, but also the whole, you know, the st- the stories that have happened around it and the people I've met and so on. This is Ashish Rao Rane. You're listening to Biker Radio Broadcast, and this is the long way home. There is more to Ashish Rao Rane and his challenge for Dakar 2021, where he'll be the solo privateer and rookie challenger from India. But you'll have to skip forward to the next episode for that. We'd like to thank Binil Vargis of LeaveTheRoad.in for being our soundboard on how to get started with off-roading. We're also inviting you to connect with us for sharing your content through this community of listeners who we think are mostly motorcyclists. Big thank you also to Sukesh Vishwanath who's been riding around North Karnataka with Candida Lewis on the KTM Adventure Detour for Biker Radio Broadcast My Way. And great news for Couch Potatoes. Biker Radio Broadcast is now also available on YouTube. Why? Honestly, we don't know why. So we just celebrated the World Post Day, but since we don't have a post box or a street address to write to, you'll just have to send us a mail to mail at bikerradiobroadcast.com or WhatsApp your audio to 89202-76675. Keep it alive. On the next episode, catch the mariner Ashish Rarane as he prepares for the toughest race in the world, Dakar. Until then, listen, connect, ride on. Right